Hey guys, this is Erin from Roadrun Blonde, and I wanted to tell you about a new feature on ACAST that supports its artists. It's the supporter feature. Listeners to Roadrun Blonde can now donate and support the podcast. However, there's no subscription or commitment. You can just give whenever or whatever you'd like. It's completely up to you. Just find the support the show link in the show description on any episode. You can use Apple Pay or Google Pay, and it takes less than 30 seconds. You can donate anonymously, or you can add a message that I can see. As a podcaster, everything comes directly out of my pocket. I don't get paid to podcast. It's just my passion. So anything is appreciated to keep the show going. Thank you so much, guys. And now on to the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Hello and welcome to Red Rum Blonde. This is a true crime podcast. Each week, I'll explore a case the victims, the facts, and the mystery surrounding it. Some are solved, some remain unsolved. I'm your host, Erin Fleming. It's not unusual for humans to search for answers in their spiritual quests. Some people claim to have those answers, or at least some insight. We look at them as gurus, in a sense, or sometimes literally. But they're human, so they're not infallible. Key word here being human. Gandhi, one of the greatest spiritual influencers of the 20th century, was accused of being sex-obsessed. In 2010, spiritual leader James Arthur Ray was arrested and charged with three counts of manslaughter. This was after some of his followers died in one of his sweat lodges. And don't even get me started on some of these charlatans that bilk money out of their followers. Sometimes these leaders get a taste of power and roll with it. And that's what happened in this week's case. In the 60s and 70s, the New Age movement was in full swing. And at the helm was an author who said he worked for years with a Yaqui Indian shaman on a spiritual quest with the use of psychedelics. The books he wrote were bestsellers, and they propelled him into stardom. 
but after some questioned their authenticity, he fell off the scene. He then started what many viewed as a cult. And after his death, some members disappeared, never to be seen again. This week, I'll discuss Carlos Castaneda and his mysterious cult. I grew up in the late 70s with a mother who was hardcore into the New Age movement. So I'm a lot like her in a way, always looking for the bigger answers and hoping that there's some mystery out there in the universe. And there was one guy that she talked about a lot, and that was Carlos Castaneda. He was huge at that time. It was kind of similar to how big the book The Secret is today. He wrote 12 books that were bestsellers. They've sold more than 28 million copies and have been translated into 17 languages. That's pretty astounding. You can still easily find his books on bookstore shelves today. In fact, I bought one recently. And I had no idea there was any controversy over his writing. This was a guy my mom put on a pedestal. And I certainly didn't know of any cult. So many of you may be very familiar with him and his work. And for those of you who aren't, I'm going to go into who he was, you know, what made him famous, and how he fell from grace. And then we'll get into that cult, because who doesn't love a good cult story? Carlos Castaneda was born on Christmas Day, 1925, in Peru. But there's even debate about that. He said he was Brazilian, being born in Sao Paulo in 1931. Regardless, records show he attended a fine arts school in Lima, and he used his mother's name of Castaneda. In the 1950s, he emigrated to the United States, becoming a citizen in 1957. Castaneda first began taking classes at Los Angeles Community College studying creative writing. Around that same time, he married Margaret Runyon in Tijuana, Mexico. She recalls he was very interested in the occult at that time. And together, they had done ESP experiments. Castaneda would disappear into the desert, sometimes for days at a time. They later divorced in the 70s. There aren't many pictures available of him. He was short, apparently under 5 foot 5, and insecure about it, so he didn't like to have his picture taken. Many people said he was a great storyteller with intense brown eyes. In 1959, he began studying anthropology at the University of California. There first began his interest into the use of drugs and spirituality. He turned in a paper on the use of jimson weed in religious ceremonies by Native Americans. In 1962, he graduated with a bachelor's degree in anthropology. The time he spent at UCLA was very important because it's also the same time he supposedly met his guru, Don Juan Mattis, at a bus station in Arizona in 1960. After becoming very intrigued by the old man, Castaneda spent some time with a Yaqui shaman and soon became his apprentice. Don Juan claimed to be what was a Nawal, a human who has the power to transform into an animal. He said he was a black sorcerer and willing to impart some of his knowledge to Castaneda. At the crux of his teachings was the use of certain drugs like peyote or jimson weed to be able to transform into animals, see into another dimension, or to perform magic. Castaneda wrote about the experiences to obtain his master's degree, which he then turned into his first book, The Teachings of Don Juan, 
a yakky way of knowledge in 1968. The public was mesmerized by this tale. So you have to remember this was the late 60s, and people were very into the idea of drugs as a way to open your mind to many other things. And they also really liked the idea of someone learning something from a wise old man. Think of how many times you've seen that in the media, everything from Kung Fu to Star Wars. After the success of his first book, Castaneda wrote more, each providing a glimpse into the knowledge he gleaned as an apprentice to Don Juan. And he was enjoying his success as a writer. Time magazine placed him on the cover, calling him the godfather of the New Age. So on three fronts, he was very revered as a writer, as a mystic, and as an anthropologist. He kept the identity of Don Juan a secret, insisting it was to protect his anonymity. But in some that aroused suspicion, author Joyce Carol Oates read a letter to the New York Times in 1972. She said she felt it was ludicrous that his books were portrayed as nonfiction. And others began to jump on that bandwagon. Cecil B. DeMille's son, Richard, wrote a book called Castaneda's Journey, The Power and the Allegory. The book was a journalistic endeavor to discredit Castaneda and to prove that he was a fake. But despite all that, it didn't diminish his popularity at all. There were some glaring inconsistencies with the books, though. I mean, for one, the Yaki didn't use hallucinogenic drugs in any of the rituals. In fact, they were kind of baffled by what Castaneda described. And then there were the missing field notes. He seemed to not have any, even though they were the basis for his books. Most students who write a thesis keep their field notes for quite some time in case they need to refer to them. And as an anthropologist, he would have made notes of what medicinal plants he was ingesting, but this was non-existent. The biggest problem was that no one else had ever seemed to encounter this mystical Don Juan except for Carlos Castaneda. The local Yaki didn't seem to know of him. It was all starting to look very suspicious. Around 1973, he dropped out of the public eye. Perhaps it was his fear of being exposed. He still had many supporters, which he used to support his new belief system called Tensegrity. In his own words, he described it as this. Among the infinitude of things that Don Juan taught me were some bodily movements which were discovered and used by shamans of ancient Mexico to foster states of profound physical and mental well-being. He said that those movements were called magical passes by shamans who discovered them because of their effect on the practitioners was so astounding. Through these movements, those shamans were able to achieve a superb physical and mental balance. I have labored for 10 years to make a synthesis of these movements. The result is something I've called tensegrity, the modern version of the magical passes. The word tensegrity is a combination of tension and integrity, the two driving forces of the magical passes. So Castaneda was not shying away from the whole Don Juan thing. In fact, he was doubling down. It's bizarre. You can still take workshops on this today. So it's kind of crazy that he was publicly debunked, yet it didn't hurt his reputation. The Tensegrity group was called Clear Green. And the whole Tensegrity thing was something basically that someone online described as Tai Chi and modern dance put together. 
writer Bruce Wagner became interested in filming Castaneda after he wrote an article on him for Detail magazine in 1994. Wagner is most well known for writing A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and most recently Maps to the Stars. And I think right before this was when he was married to actress Rebecca De Mornay. Pretty soon he became a part of the inner circle, even getting a new name, Lorenzo Drake or Enzo. His short films were a great promotion for the new religion. Clear Green was started in the early 90s, and although Castaneda was a shareholder, he ran every aspect of it. The head of the company was Talia Bay, real name Amalia Marquez, a businesswoman from Puerto Rico who moved to Los Angeles after reading his books. Bruce Wagner ended up marrying a woman named Carol Tiggs, who was one of the members of the group. The group held seminars on campuses everywhere, and those seminars could cost up to $1,200, and they were not short in attendance. Castaneda referred to the women in his group as his witches. Many of these women were lovers of his, and they were used to recruit more women into the group, being told to look for, quote, women with a combination of brains, beauty, and vulnerability. Three major players in this group were Florinda Donner Growl, Tasha Abelar, and Carol Tiggs, the beginning of the cult. Abelar was born Marion Simcoe, and she met Castaneda at UCLA when she was 19 and earning her anthropology degree. In 1973, he bought a compound in Westwood, Los Angeles. There, Abelar, Regine Thal, and Kathleen Pullman became the very first witches. The group was very secretive and not wanting to be photographed and constantly changing their names. Regine Thal changed hers to Florinda Donner. Kathleen Pullman became Carol Tiggs. Abelar ended up writing a book about her year of magical learning in Mexico called The Sorcerer's Crossing, A Woman's Journey. Florinda Donner, born as Regine Margarita Thal, also studied anthropology at UCLA, but she never received her degree. Just like her mentor, her work was being accused of not being authentic. In 1982, she wrote a book called Shabono, a visit to a remote and magical world in the South American rainforest. It recounted her time spent with the Yanomani Indians in the Amazon forest. But in 1983, an article in the American Anthropologist said the work was just a mishmash of previously published works by other writers, and that she probably didn't spend any time with the tribe. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. I had trouble finding a lot of background on Carol Tiggs. She was born Kathleen Adair Pullman in 1947, and she claimed to have studied directly under Don Juan in 1966 or 67. She had changed her name quite a few times from Elizabeth Austin to Beverly Evans before finally settling on being called Carol Tiggs. And she became the novel woman, an emerging of someone called the Death Defier, who was another old seer. He hoped to reroute his energy through Carol, and this was an attempt to create a portal into a kind of dream world. Bear with me on this, I don't really understand it. There are rumors that Carol tried to leave this group only to rejoin, and this is when she was supposedly named the Nawal Woman. These three women were his witches, or chalk moles, as he also called them. And chalk moles were supposed to be the fierce guardian warriors and experts in tensegrity. I like to think of their relationship with him as similar to that of Jack Nicholson's character in The Witches of Eastwick with Cher, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Susan Sarandon, one of total control. Other women joined this group or called as it was soon perceived. There was Kylie Lundahl. She was an artist from Norway, and she met Florinda after nursing her back to health after she became sick on some chocolate. She was so impressed by Florinda that she followed her back to Los Angeles. And from there, she kind of became the boss of the other women, going so far as to control what they ate. The only one exempt from her was Florinda. And there were two sisters, Nye and Rani Mures, or Zuna and Puna as they were known. They reportedly ran into Florinda, and after Tasha and Kylie came to Nye's parents' house to help her move, they apparently kidnapped her. Later on, when she agreed to join the group, they told her she had to recapitulate, which was a term meaning you had to release the charge you have over an event. The group had kind of a weird habit of rejecting someone only to let them back in, and this seemed to be the case here. There was also someone that they called the Blue Scout. That position was held by a woman named Patricia Parton. Castaneda said that the Blue Scout and something called the Orange Scout were 7,000-year-old beings with great powers, and they were both trapped in some kind of other dimension. The Orange escaped right behind the Blue. So the Blue Scout had to be freed by Carol Tiggs giving birth to her, and don't even ask me what that entailed. Apparently, this group had a very contentious relationship with the Blue Scout. Nye said the Blue Scout was the love of her life. Here's her description. The Blue Scout gets tinier as time goes on. She could be seven years old, and they estimate she might take 50 years to fully mature. She is exact and temperamental. Castaneda says she's a pain in the neck. She angers easily, just like a seven-year-old when you're being an asshole but then forgets the next moment and invites you to go gambling with her in Las Vegas. 
The Blue Scout loves gambling and used to bet on the horses while Carol Tiggs was gone. And now that Carol Tiggs is back, she is her mother 100%. The Blue Scout was also gone for 10 years, from the chronological ages of 7 to 17, returning about a year before Carol Tiggs did. They claim to have gotten the girl from Mexico, where Don Juan was taking care of her. And then they supposedly educated her and enrolled her in college. The absolute best story I read about this concerned the Blue Scout's love of TV. Apparently, she had a crush on Bruce from Kids in the Hall. So Carlos Castaneda ran into him somewhere and introduced himself, saying, You've given us endless hours of pleasure. Castaneda then asked for an autograph but he was disappointed when he noticed it said Kevin McDonald, which was one of the other members of Kids in the Hall. So I don't understand the whole Blue Scout business, but this group took it very seriously. The workshops were being held at UCLA with the three witches and the Blue Scout speaking. The Blue Scout was now being called Nuri by the group, but she seemed to be annoyed at the seminars by answering questions about other dimensions. She claimed it was because it was too difficult to translate to human beings. She told the audience, deal with your own shit. Castaneda went on to legally adopt her, but some say she was also his lover. Another person with an intimate track into the group was Amy Wallace, daughter of writer Irving Wallace. And she later wrote a book about her experiences called The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Her father and Castaneda were friends when she was about 13. And then years later, after Irving died, Castaneda told her that her father appeared to him in a dream and said he was trapped in the house and needed to be freed. So to learn about all this, she went to see Castaneda in Los Angeles and was very quickly seduced by him. She provided some insight into what occurred in the group. He insisted on celibacy, but he was something of a sex fiend. And if a woman had sex with him, he said the sperm would alter something in her brain, making it magical. But the women weren't to have sex with anyone other than Castaneda. Okay, so now buckle up for this weirdness. There are things known as flyers that want to hurt humans. And when a baby girl is born, she has a bar of energy that the flyers take a bite out of. And of course, this can only be fixed by having sex with Castaneda. Castaneda would be the one to cut the women's hair. And if you fell out of favor with him, he would refuse to cut your hair. According to Amy Wallace, Tasha had spent years removing her body hair via electrolysis. He told Amy that it was critical she have her pubic hair in a certain way. He said, this is the utmost sorceric importance. You must shave the lower half of your conchita. It will allow the energy to flow smoothly and make you less human. He basically sounds like a creep who took advantage of these women. He would favor one woman for a while and then turn his attention to another and almost kind of pit them against each other. Mind games were played constantly. The funny thing about the group was these strange beliefs of achieving power and health, and all the while their leader, Carlos Castaneda, was incredibly ill. While suffering from liver cancer, the witches took care of him. But he kept his ailment from the outside world. I mean, if the public knew that he were sick, they might not buy into his ideology. One person who was onto what was happening was a woman named Gabby Goiter and her husband Greg Marmachon. 
Gabby wanted to become a part of the group after attending some workshops, but she was rejected. So she and her husband began filming the group. They would even go through their garbage. They had a website that was shut down, and on it they revealed pictures of Carlos Castaneda being helped around by the women. And these were the very last pictures of him. He died on April 27, 1998 at his Westwood home. But his death was kept a secret until the next year. After his death, four of the women disappeared. An associate of the group said their phones were all disconnected at the same time. And he said there was a, quote, strange mood at the last workshop conducted. Then another woman in the group disappeared. So the missing were Florinda Donner Grau, Tasha Abelar, Kylie Lundahl, Amelia Marquez, and Patricia Parton. It's thought that they have all committed suicide, but the disappearances are a mystery. The compound was shut down, and these women fell off the face of the earth. And only one has been found. In 1998, Patricia's car was found in Death Valley, California. And then in 2003, close to where the car was found, hikers found human bones. But it took three years for the bones to be identified as Patricia's. However, the cause of death isn't known. It's thought to be suicide. But police were very hands-off with all of the disappearances. The only one they actively investigated was that of Amalia Marquez due to her persistence of her family. They seemed to have this attitude that these were adult women who all left of their own choosing. The assumption is that the women are all dead. But, I mean, who knows? They could be out there somewhere. So did Carlos Castaneda insist that they commit suicide? It's very troubling that so many women could go missing and that no one will really look into it. There is another theory that they went into the desert to try to contact his spirit. Luckily for Amy Wallace, she wasn't as deep into the group and was able to maintain some distance physically as well as emotionally and spiritually, and this probably saved her life. Even after all of this, many still do not know the bad side of Carlos Castaneda. His books are still widely available, and Tensegrity still runs a website. Instead of being exposed as a fraud and a cult leader, he's still revered as a spiritual leader. Like I said before, I was very familiar with his works, but I had no idea what really went on. The whole thing reminds me of this Nexium cult that was recently in the news. It consisted mainly of women who followed one man. They did horrendous things like brand and blackmail the women. And this is surely something that will happen many times over you'll always have people searching for answers in life in some kind of connection with a group and you'll always have people that want to exploit that. That was the story of the Carlos Castaneda cult. I used a lot of online articles for my research so if you want to read more about it check out a website called acidheroes.wordpress.com to where I got a ton of my information. There's also a very good article on salon.com I know this is normally part of the show where a lot of you tune out, but I wanted to talk about a couple of things that are pretty important to me. There's a great podcast called Strictly Homicide hosted by Nikki Thatcher. It's one of the newer ones that I love. Recently, Nikki has gone through some really rough times. She's changing jobs and her husband is suffering from seizures. And very reluctantly, she started a GoFundMe page. 
So if you want to help out, please check it out. I'll post it onto the Red Rum Blonde Facebook page. Nikki is cool as hell and her podcast is fantastic. I really hate that she's going through this rough time and I just want to help out some way. Many of you have asked about the intro music for the show. I've mentioned before that it's by Anthony Pazell, and his studio officially just started its own website, so I wanted to give it another shout out. It's called Silverling Virtual Studio, and he said they specialize in original composition for both multimedia projects such as podcasts, movies, video games, and live music scenarios. So if you want some great music composed specifically for one of your projects, reach out to them. I love the music he did for the podcast. When I was looking for some music, I searched a lot of places and I couldn't settle on anything. And then I had a friend suggest him and I'm thoroughly very pleased with what he came up with. So go to www.silverlingvirtualstudio.com or they have a Facebook page under Silverling VS. I want to thank Madison for the case suggestion that you sent out today. I love getting those, and I look into everyone that gets sent to me. I have a very long list of cases I want to cover, so I always add those on. If you'd like to make a case suggestion, just contact me on the Red Rum Blonde Facebook page. And there's also a group that you can join. I'm on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and catch you next week. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.